pray. Lord God, we do love you. We do ask that you would do that very thing today. God, you would show us Christ. God, I pray for our, uh, our members, Lord, those who have called upon you and have been redeemed and changed. God, I pray that this will be a time to remind us of the gospel and a call in our life. And God, for anyone in here who does not know you, Lord, I pray they would find uh, what it means to be a part of a church. And God, they would desire that and they would find that uh, Christ is the way. And God, that you would draw them to your side and save them, Lord. We love you. Thank you for allowing us blessing to worship. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10 is where we'll be at. Hebrews chapter 10. Um, so Hebrews chapter 10, if you're here visiting with us today, we are glad you're here. You're here at a very uh, different time for our church. In the month of January every year, we do um, a study. We decided to call that study from now on foundations, and it's a um, semi-preaching, semi-lecture, um, so hopefully lecture does not uh, bring up bad memories for you from college or anything, uh, but as uh, we use this time to remind our church of why we do what we do, uh, and uh, we encourage our church that if you have friends or family who are interested in coming uh, and visiting, this is a good few weeks to do that because we kind of discuss these things about uh, the distinctives of our church, um, and next week we do our State of the Church Address, which is um, where we discuss what we did well last year, what we didn't do well, the things we're planning on changing. Uh, this coming uh, State of the Church Address, we will um, show you uh, some drawings of a potential church building that, God willing, uh, we would be allowed to possibly build at some point in the future. Uh, and so there's a lot of exciting things happening. Uh, but you're here at a, at a good time if you're looking or you're thinking about um, coming to a church and possibly thinking about ours. Last week we discussed preaching the word and we discussed how uh, the most foundational thing for our church and that happens when we gather is that someone stands up here and proclaims the word of God to you. Uh, not opinions, not fads, not uh, neat different things or, or books of, that other people wrote, but that we would preach the Word of God. Uh, we generally do that expositionally, so we work our way through books of the Bible, but uh, today might be a little different. You'd be like, well, I thought you just said that we did that, and now we're not going to do that today. Well, today we're going to be discussing meaningful church membership and what that looks like for us. Now, uh, those of you who have been here uh, for the last couple of years, we have spent a lot of time on church membership. We have a membership class. We've talked about it many times uh, and what it means. Uh, we're going to look at a little bit different aspect of that today out of Hebrews chapter 10. I think for all ministers and preachers of the gospel who pastor or on staff at churches, um, I think we've all had uh, what I would call meaningful ministry moments uh, that help define us as a church or as a pastor or what you're hoping uh, to be as a church one day. And for me, probably one of the biggest defining moments for me uh, was when I was about 28 years old. I was uh, in between churches. I was a police officer for the city of Longview um, and uh, working the midnight shift. Um, and uh, I would work the midnight shift, go home, sleep for about an hour and a half, get back up and go to Sunday school class, which is not fun, by the way. 
<clears throat> but my wife, uh, faithful as she was and is, would make me get up, and we would go to Sunday school class. And this particular day at this particular church, um, I was probably not that interested necessarily in being there because I was exhausted. Um, but the teacher in our Sunday school class got up. Uh, there was mainly our age group in there, so people in their late 20s, and <clears throat> he taught the lesson. And, and I was just kind of off in the side of the room. It was a large group of people in this class, and uh, I began to hear the crying and, and sobbing of a young lady in the class. Uh, before long, other people in the class could notice that. Uh, and then, for me, it became almost a scientific experiment. Uh, I noticed that, and being as exhausted as I was, I don't know that I even thought about doing anything about it, but rather what was going to happen uh, in the class references. I noticed that the teacher was somewhat nervous about the young lady crying in the class, uh, and uh, then I just watched a church membership uh, stumble upon itself trying to figure out what to do about it. The teacher continued to teach, and eventually one of the other ladies in the class uh, raised her hand and said, well, I don't know that we can continue to teach when so-and-so is crying. I think it would be imperative that we find out what's going on. And so uh, she began to discuss how her husband had left her that day, um, and then I watched as no one in the class really knew what to do about that. Um, and then at that particular moment, I remember thinking to myself, um, Somewhere along the way, we have forgotten what it means to be a community of believers. I really had the, the sensation in the room that what everyone really wanted to have happen is for her to quit crying and for the lesson to continue because, you know, that's what we do in Sunday school. And no one really knew what to do with it. We wanted to check off our attendance boxes uh, and then go to the main worship service. I have no passion as a pastor to reinvent the church. I don't have any desire to make it more relevant or more palatable or cool or hip or to engage in whatever the newest fads are. Uh, some do, but I don't. Uh, instead, I want us to be a church that functions as a community of believers like we see in the New Testament. And what does meaningful membership mean? look like in the scriptures. And so uh, I think we see, uh, we've done several versions of this sermon and this teaching in our church, but uh, today we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10, uh, 19 through 25. Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 25 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, the overall theme of Hebrews, uh, if you could sum it up, uh, I would say is that Jesus is better. 
That's, that's the basic argument from the inspired writer of Hebrews, that Jesus is the better high priest, that he's better, he's better in everything else. And chapter 10 specifically is teaching that Jesus' blood, for those who believe, is enough. There's no more need for animal sacrifices. A repentance and a faith placed in the blood of Christ is sufficient for the eternal forgiveness of sins, and there is no need to do anything else. And after making that case for all 10 chapters, uh, and then specifically in chapter 10, we get verses 19 through 15. And so in this um, little small section of Scripture, we have these commands, these encouragements to the believers to consider and to ponder, to think more on how to stir up one another to love and good works. And this is a passage that calls the church, the community of believers, to action. It calls us to actually do things when we gather. See, meaningful church membership is intentional. It is disciplined. It is sacrificial. And let me assure you that biblical church membership is hard. It's hard because it goes against our sinful nature. If you remember, those of you who helped replant this church, if you remember, one of the things that I wanted to make as a slogan for our church is, um, come to our church guaranteed to hurt you. <laughs> this is true. Some of you aren't laughing. <laughs> I mean, do you know why churches have flaws and pain and there's brokenness and things go wrong? You want to know why? Because you're in them. And we're going to wound each other. There's going to be things that don't go right and, and because you've got a bunch of redeemed people who... Well, you should have a bunch of redeemed people. But we have a redeemed people who worship a God who still have a sinful nature and sinful passions and we're going to run into each other and we're going to hurt each other and it should not be strange to us that that happens. And it is interesting to me when you look at the scriptures how much of the focus of all the scriptures with regards to membership is never upon our own needs but upon others. So at this particular church, at Sovereign Life Fellowship, I would say it this way in regards to what it means to have meaningful church membership. We are not offering any tickets to a show here. There are no tickets to a show. There are no opportunities to sit back and watch, to just blend in. We are called to invest yourself for the gospel of Jesus Christ in a local body of believers that if the Lord allows, will bear fruit long after you stop breathing. That's the goal. That's our desire here. We are not looking for attenders. We are looking for workers, people who want to stir up one another to love and good works. If you're here and you are a member here, I want to make sure I rebuke you somewhat with what I'm about to say, if this is your attitude. If you are a visitor and you're looking for a church, I want to lay all my cards out on the table as it pertains to what we're looking for. That way, if, if this isn't what you're looking for, do us both a favor and don't fill out a card. Is that fair? Too much honesty today? If you want to blend in, if you want to disappear, if you want to find a church to just sit back in, well, please don't come here. We don't need that. And listen, 
if you find a church whose leadership allows you to do that, you should still find another church. That is not the calling of believers, and it's not the calling of pastors. Pastors are to shepherd the flock into doing good works and stirring one another up to love and good works. You are a member of the body of Christ, and you have a unique calling, a unique gift given to you by the Holy Spirit of God. You're commanded to stir up one another to love in good works and to strive side by side with them for the gospel. Now, and speak a little bit more plainly to us as a church. If you're young here, you may have an attitude that I'm too young. I don't know enough. Haven't walked with the Lord long enough. Don't have enough experience. I would tell you that is wrong. We need you involved in the local body of believers. Now, you may be middle-aged here. I felt, I felt like you just disagreed there. <laughs> Middle-aged here, maybe slightly older. I'm 44, and I hear it from time to time tell my people my age say to pastors and congregations that we're a little too busy for all the things going on in church. I've got this and that and this and this, and my kids are involved in that, and so I just don't have time to do all the things that the church has called me to do. And I would agree with you in some sense. Some churches uh, have gotten a little ridiculous and have overloaded the schedule for sure. Uh, but no doubt, no matter how busy you may think you are, if you're a believer, you're called to be busy within the church. And lastly, if you're a senior adult, thought I was going to skip you, didn't you? I work with senior adults every day in my job. And they tend to, when I'm seeing them, um, they tend to tell me about their, they tend to tell me about their churches. And I usually hear something to this effect. I have served my time. I, I have done that, and I'm not really interested in doing this anymore or doing that. Listen, I, I'm just going to church. I mean, I've served my time. I, I just want to sneak in, hear the gospel. They never actually say that first. They say, hear great singing, <laughs> hear some gospel stuff, and then I want to go home. And I would tell you that if you can fog up a mirror, then you are commanded by the creator and sustainer of all things to involve yourself in a local church and work in it for the gospel. And we have this passage here. And it calls us to consider you, no matter your age, no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, you are called to consider, to fix your eyes upon, to discover, to perceive, to ponder ways that we can stir up one another. Now, the Greek word there is actually um, basically provoke. And we all know how to provoke, don't we? We can do that well as a church, Amen. I have four kids, two boys, two girls. I can usually sit in my living room, watch my television, and I can hear the other ones provoking the other ones. I know exactly how it begins, and I know exactly how it's going to end. We understand the idea of provoking, but, but here in the Scriptures, we are called, you are called, 
I am called to consider how we, when we get together either in a congregational meeting like this or when we get together outside here, how we can stimulate and provoke and incite each other to love and good works. That's what we're called to. This is not just a gathering to hear someone preach. It's not just a gathering to hear somebody sing songs. You are called when you gather to ponder how you can love one another better and stir up one another to good works. People say, well, that sounds good. I like that. What does that mean? Well, we have some some description in the scripture about what it means to have good works. I'll just run through 12 real quick, read through them. Some of you just panicked because he said, he said 12. <laughs> We're not camping here. It's a lecture, remember? <laughs> no one preached the word. That's the first one out of 2 Timothy chapter 4. That's one thing that should be happening when you gather, which is trying to happen today. Number two, singing and worshiping. That's out of Colossians chapter 3. There should be teaching and admonishing. That's actually in the Bible. Colossians chapter 3 again. We are, according to Galatians chapter 6, we are called to bear one another's burdens. In James chapter 5, we are called to confess sin to one another. In James chapter 5, we are also called to pray for one another. In Romans chapter 12, we are called to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. In Acts 4, in Acts uh, in Acts. 4 and Acts chapter 2 and Romans chapter 12, we are called to contribute to the needs of the saints. We are also called in Romans 12 to show hospitality, to show brotherly affection. And we are even called to outdo one another in showing honor. Does any of that sound like sitting back and listening? You're called to be involved and work in a local church. And even after all of that, Hebrews 10 still says, consider how. We, we can still ponder and meditate and think about how can I, when I arrive at the church today, how can I stir up one another to love and good works? And what believer wants to miss out on all of this? I mean, do you really want to miss out as a believer on someone bearing your burdens? Mine are heavy. What about yours? Any of you struggling with sin and would like to share that with somebody so you can battle together on it? Anybody, anybody get upset when other people pray over them for God's power in your life? Does anyone really get upset when someone rejoices with you when you rejoice? Or weep with you when we weep. Ben lost his mother a few weeks ago, right during the holidays. What we did when we brought them down to pray over them is, is not something for a show. It's something the scripture calls us to do. We are to weep because he is weeping. And as a church, we are called to do these things in the scripture. And what believer would want to miss out on that? Which is why... The writer of Hebrews would say, why would you neglect this? Why would you neglect that? Why would you neglect or forsake or abandon the gathering of believers? Why would you want to do that? 
Why would you not instead want to be here to encourage, to strengthen, to instruct other believers in doing things that stir up one another to love and good works? Our goal when we come together is to do these for one particular purpose. And that is to remind ourselves that the day is drawing near. The day. The day that we who are redeemed are longing for. And that is the day when all theological discussions will be laid to rest. When debates about who is right and who is wrong will be no more. No more discussions, no more sin struggles, amen. Jesus will return and we will be made new. And that is why we gather to encourage, to stir up one another, to love and good works. That's why we bear one another's burdens. That's why we weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice so that we can remind ourselves that one day all of this will be done. Who would miss that? Why would you not want to be a part of that? Does it make any sense? I can tell you one reason why. Not many churches do that anymore. But we as a church want to do that here. Listen, church. We can sing songs that say we want the glory of his name to be the passion of the church. That requires you obeying the word. That requires you to sacrifice, to work, to use the gift God has called you to use within the body of believers. And when we do that, when we behave towards each other as believers, as redeemed believers who come together to worship our God for His glory, when we behave like this, I believe with everything in me that God grows that church. Now, I've been to lots of church growth seminars, and none of that has ever been discussed (laughs) as a method. Let me tell you something. I grew up in a small church that grew. And I remember every day my parents helped plant that church. I remember every Sunday we never could go home. People just stayed and they talked. And and that was before I wanted to talk so much. We would sit out underneath the pavilion at the church and talk. And I was hungry. And I used to think to myself, are these people not hungry We would talk for an hour, and then we would leave there and go eat. And when we got done eating, they would talk for another hour. Waiters hated our tables. They never turned over. We stayed there forever. We'd get home about 4 o'clock. Never saw a cowboy game. Before DVRs, kids are like, why didn't you just rewind that? And do you know what happened around 4 o'clock? We went and did it again. And then when we got done, we didn't go home. We went to somebody's house. Let me tell you what it instilled in me. A love for the believers. Yeah. 
not just in the gathered group at church, but you know who I want to eat with during the week? Other believers. You know why? Because I need to be reminded about the confession that I hold so that I don't waver from it. I need to be reminded that my king is coming back. And I need, even as a pastor, I need to be stirred up to love and good works. And a church that loves like this, I'm, I'm going to say something really controversial. You ready? Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us as a church that the way the lost world will know that our God is real by how we treat them. doesn't say we treat them poorly. Only one time in all of Scripture does it tell us how they will know that we're his disciples. John chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you that you, believers, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And by this, not because we gave money to the poor, although we should, not because we treated people and loved them and sacrificed for them, although we should, but listen, this is how the world knows that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If we can't do this, then why would anybody want to join it? But we are called to display the glory of God by doing this together. I love that. Give you a couple of quick little things real quick. I love what uh, Matthew 5 says. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light, the way we treat each other, the way we follow the commands of God, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works, what we were just called to stir up one another in. Are you seeing that? And when they see our good works, they will give glory to our Father. That's the greatest evangelism tool in the world right there with how we treat each other. So that's our prayer for our church. That we would get up every day, especially on Sundays, and we would say to ourselves, how do I today stir up one another to love and good works? Even in our worship service, while we're singing, the Lord may put somebody on your heart and I need to teach you as a church something. The Lord puts somebody on your heart. You don't have to wait till after church to go to them. You can find them in the middle of a singing, and you can take them to the side or to the front or to the back or right there where they are, and you can pray over them. This is a community of believers. Let us get this right. Have you not had enough of shallow relationships? Let's build some that matter for the glory of God. Keith will come and we will worship, be reminded of these truths. As he comes, let me just remind you of one more thing. If you're not a believer, you will never love the brethren. You do not have the capability 
of loving the brethren. You were born into sin. No one had to teach you how to sin. You were born into it. You do it naturally. And listen, we are all very good at it. But God, because of his great love for us, sent his son to take our punishment on the cross for our sin, the punishment that we richly deserved. God poured out his wrath upon his son instead, and those of us who put our faith in Christ and repent of our sins can be made new. When Christ pours his Holy Spirit into your life, you will love the brethren. You will love them. It's one of the marks of Christianity is the way that we love one another. People always ask, well, how do I come to know Christ? Do I need to take your hand? Do I need to repeat a certain prayer or say a certain thing? Let me tell you what all the Bible says. Repent and believe. That's what you need to do. You need to repent and believe. And if that's true and if it was sincere, your life will never be the same again. Join with me in prayer as we pray for those who might not know the Lord. Pray for the Holy Spirit to convict us of the word that we've just heard. And then may we sing about God's glory. Let's pray, God. We love you. We thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for calling us not to walk alone, but to walk together with others who love you. God, I pray for this congregation, small though it may be, one of the marks you would have for us is that we would love one another deeply and that it would be reflected in how we live our lives and treat one another. May our gatherings be marked with a desire to stir up one another to love and good works. And may you exhibit your power among us when we come together. We love you. Thank you for what you have done today. And thank you for what you will continue to do. It's your name we pray.